Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 165. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I've been in an epic battle with a little frog in my throat this morning, but we will see if we can power through with a minimum of... (coughs) We'll see how it goes. Or maybe I'll leave those in, you know, uh, because it adds flavor to the podcast. And let me tell you, it's some great flavor. Okay, that's gross. Moving on. How have you been, everybody? Speaking of gross, let's do one of these. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. The Facebook for Mad Mike is still quiet over there at Mad Mike Hughes, his own Facebook page. Let's see what's going on at MadMikeHughes.com. There is a link now to get tickets to an event that's already happened. Oh, okay. So they've still got a post up here for the February 11th Rocketman coloring book release. The tickets actually are for the Flat Earth Exit the Matrix Epic... Or excuse me. I'll try that again. Flat Earth Exit the Matrix Expo 2019, which is occurring on May 25th and 26th in Las Vegas. Mad Mike Hughes exploring again. Waldo Stakes. The font on here is really weird. Mad Mike Hughes exploring again. Waldo Stakes. Chief Crow, Flat Earth Radio, Chris Pontius, more to be announced. Plaza Hotel and Casino in Vegas. I wonder what tickets go for. Let's see. Oh, I pressed the link. I hope I didn't, like, just buy a bunch of $1,000 tickets. Let's see. Oh, tickets are only 20 bucks. You can follow this thing on Facebook, too, which I am not going to do. So that's coming up. If any of you are going to this thing, if any of you lives in the Vegas area, even if you're not Flat Earthers, First of all, if you are flat earthers, why do you suffer me making fun of Mad Mike? Perhaps you're open-minded flat earthers. But even if you're not flat earthers, if you live in the Vegas area, I mean, don't make a special trip for this, but if you're in the area and you could go to this thing and just tell me about it, that would be awesome. Nothing else really new on the website. There is a form to fill out if you would like to request an interview with Mad Mike, and it's tempting. But no, I don't think I will. A donate button. You can subscribe to the mailing list to be the first to know what Mad Mike Hughes is up to. Mm, No. Mad Mike's personal Twitter account is pretty quiet. Nothing since 2015. This is Rocketman, at This is Rocketman, posted two days ago. Waldo Stakes shares his brilliant idea on how to get sponsorship for the rocket. Okay. And then they have a quote here. Basically, I think we should all push the envelope and ask questions and excel at things. Excel at things. All right. Mad Mike cruising his limo with thoughts on life. Okay. I don't know. So you should go excel at things. Okay. And then if you follow the link, that first thing I said about how Waldo Stakes knows how to fund the rocket, if you follow that link to Instagram for This Is Rocket Man, you have a Waldo Stakes. And by the way, I don't know who Waldo Stakes is. But they have a quote from him. You can shape the rocket any way you want. You could shape it like a penis. All right. You can paint it tan. You could go to Viagra or Cialis, Pfizer, and have it sponsored from them. All right. I didn't think that's where this was going. Um, uh, He's not wrong, I guess. It does sort of harken back to the idea that 
building rockets to blast yourself into space or driving a huge car or a huge truck. It really just is an extension of the, that downtown area of, of, you know, the dude doing it. So, all right, the Waldo Stakes just is kind of putting it out there, metaphorically. God hopes, you know, not literally. All right, so I will update you. The last time I saw a picture of the rocket, it was green. As far as I know, Mad Mike's business is not green. If it is, I mean, it is St. Patrick's Day as I'm recording today, so who knows. But uh, if it is green, perhaps he should see a physician. If anyone's listening who works in the medical field, uh, one, if you could make sure Mad Mike's okay. And two, if you could let me know if green uh, green business is a thing, I would be curious and a little frightened, actually. All right, well, I think shaping Mad Mike's rocket like a hoo-hoo is a good place to leave this update. So I'm going to back out slowly from this segment. Let's move on. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. We got feedback this week. Actually, last week. As I've apologized for, the way I have to do my production in, in uh, relationship to when I've always released the episodes, I end up recording and releasing on the same day. But what gets released is the previous week's episode, the same day that I record the next week's episode, which means, and this is the apology part, you guys don't really have a chance to get, unless I'm late with recording or something, don't really have a chance to get feedback in that same week. So your feedback is usually delayed by a week, at least as far as when you guys hear it. I've jumbled that all up, but you know what I mean. So apologies for that. It's just, just how I've always done it. But we do have some feedback. I got an email from Mark Botello. Hi, Mark. Mark wrote, Hi, my name is Mark. I live in Chicopee. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Massachusetts. I recently recently began listening to your podcast. Welcome aboard, Mark. I apologize for the penis reference. I don't talk about penises often. Now that I've said that word on the show, I kind of feel like I want to say it all the time. Penis, penis, penis. Anyway, just wanted to thank you for further insight into the 2600. Ooh, Mark. Maybe you're listening to some other show and convincing uh, or mixing it up with this one because I don't think I got a whole lot of insight. If you want insight, there are plenty of other shows hosted by people who actually know what they're talking about. I kind of scratch the surface of the Atari 2600 and then I make up stories about it. But thank you for listening anyway, now that I've just talked you out of listening. But I interrupted you, Mark. Go ahead. I'm an avid Atari gamer and collector. I own many of the rarer titles, which is cool. I do not. I own... I own mostly the uh, titles that everybody's heard of. Mark says, well, hopefully we can talk at some point. Uh, sorry, hopefully we can talk shop at some point. Once again, thanks. I enjoy listening to your podcast on my way to work. Going on 14 years as a corrections officer. Well, thank you for that, Mark. Uh, corrections officers are woefully underpaid and underappreciated. Uh, so thank you for that. Gaming is a, a great way for me to decompress after work. I imagine in your line of work, you need to do that. So you found a constructive way to decompress, and I applaud you for that. Hope all is well, Mark. I replied, you know, thanks, Mark, but then he wrote back. You should do a review of Subterranea, probably my favorite game on the system. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Laser Gates is another good one. Thanks. 
I wrote back initially that uh, I had not heard of Subterranea or Laser Gates. I realized later I had actually heard of Subterranea. It's on my list of my ever-growing list of games I would like to check out that I don't have. But Laser Gates is still a, a mystery to me. L I did a quick eBay search suggesting to me that I won't be getting Subterranea probably anytime soon. It's a little pricey, uh, at least by eBay rates. Laser Gates, uh, I'm not sure about. I don't know if I looked for that one or not. I may look for both of them at the upcoming Mid Midwest Gaming Conference, which I should be mentioning more, because it's coming up pretty quick. The weekend, I think, of April 12? Uh, Mid-April, anyway, in Milwaukee. Midwest Gaming Classic. I will be there. I know other podcasters obviously will be there as well. If you're there, stop by my table and say hi. I'll be there talking about Atari Bytes. And uh, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, my other show. I will also be talking about another thing that I'm going to mention here in a couple of minutes. So when I told Mark I wasn't as familiar with those titles, he wrote back. He said, Awesome, Subterranea is a bit on the rarer side, but you must own it if you're a fan of the system. Okay, Mark, don't pressure me, man. So that was very nice. Thank you for that, Mark. I appreciate the uh, input. I appreciate the suggestions. If anyone has suggestions for games they would like me to play and uh, make up stories about, I appreciate that. And I will try my best to do that. On Facebook, I got a response to my post about the kangaroo episode, episode 163. Clinton Davies, hi Clinton, wrote, Thought I would share an episode of the kangaroo cartoon here. Enjoyed the episode. I mentioned in the kangaroo episode that kangaroo, like a number of Atari games of the era, the 80s, got its own Saturday morning cartoon show. As a side note, I kind of miss Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, I mean, nowadays you can get cartoons Anywhere you want, any time of the week. But when I was a kid, if you wanted to watch cartoons in any sort of suspended, not suspended, any sort of um, long form, like a whole morning, you had to wait until Saturday. And that was the, the big joy of the weekend coming, or a big joy of the weekend coming, was you could get up Saturday morning, eat your Cocoa Puffs, or Captain Crunch. But usually Cocoa Puffs, for me. Lucky Charms once in a while, Tricks. A little more rarely, like a Count Chocula. Um, Quisp, for some reason, was really exotic. I really only had Crisp, Quisp, if I went to stay over at a friend's house. I don't know why we never had it at my own house. You know, stuff like that. Eat your, uh, your sugary cereal of choice and watch cartoons. And I watched uh, the Donkey Kong cartoon and the Pac-Man cartoon and things like that. Pitfall, I think, I watched that one too. But there apparently was also a kangaroo cartoon, and Clinton sent me a link, a YouTube link, to uh, Saturday Supercade Kangaroo, Tale of the Cowardly Lion. And I watched the clip, you know, go to YouTube and, and, and uh, search for kangaroo cartoon, and you can find this. I have no memory of this cartoon at all. I don't know if it came out by the point when I wasn't, I was more interested in sleeping in on Saturday mornings than I was getting up to watch cartoons. Or if there was a conflicting cartoon that I liked better, this one would probably have lost out, for example, to uh, the, the variously named Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show. Uh, it had different names, but I, I would, I'm sure, have watched that instead, for example. Or maybe I just missed this one. I don't know. But I appreciate that, Clinton. Said I have no memory of this, but I'm sure a lot of you listening do. If you have thoughts about this cartoon or other video game-based cartoons... Let me know. I've thought about at some point doing a show or a number of episodes of show sort of talking about some of these cartoons, maybe doing some reviews. Um, I imagine I will do that someday. 
In the meantime, though, if you have suggestions on which cartoons I should do, or which series I should look at for maybe a review show of some sort, let me know. In other news, sorry Tesla owners, you can't play pole position on your Tesla anymore. I don't remember exactly when it was, but some earlier episode, I talked about how there was a like an Easter egg thing with the video screen on your dashboard of your Tesla, because we all own Teslas. Um, maybe someday, but not right now. But if you do, you can play, or could, play pole position on that screen. Though, hopefully, not while you're driving. But not anymore. In an article on SlashGear.com, headline, Tesla deletes pole position Atari Easter egg from its cars. We're told that Tesla removed pole position after failing to secure the rights to distribute the classic Atari title. So apparently they didn't ask first. They just put it on there and someone got annoyed. Lawyers, you know. The article says that the game was added to the Tesla Model S, Model X, and Model 3 last year as part of the Tesla version 9.0 update, alongside two other classics from the back catalog, including Tempest and Missile Command. You could only play it uh, when you were in park. And with the sizable touchscreen in the center console, uh, you, you could play them when you were in park on the huge touchscreen. Or you could play steering wheel controls. Apparently, Tesla was negotiating with the rights holder for the game, uh, Namco, I guess. And they just they couldn't agree. I'm not sure. I guess that means Missile Command and the other one that I've already forgotten. Tempest, I guess. I guess maybe those are still available. No less than Elon Musk himself was asked about this at some point, and he said, we'll add another racing game soon, but it remains to be seen when that's going to happen. So, sorry, Tesla owners. But, in good Atari news, I read another article that said, if you have an Amazon Echo Dot in your home and want to hide it away while also giving it a few extra features, well, then you can't go wrong with this 3D-printed Atari 2600 joystick. So it's basically a, a CX-40 joystick looking thing that sits on top of your Amazon Echo and you can access the buttons on the Echo with the joystick. It also works, and I'm quoting the article here, as a passive amplifier from both incoming and outgoing sound thanks to a cavity within the print. Printing at 0.2 millimeters, it took seven hours to print this thing when the developer Tyler Keller uh, came up with it. The yellow dashed circle around the top of the print had to be painted in, which was done with some cheap acrylics and a small brush. The lighting from the Echo Dot is still visible through the gasket once it's been placed inside. Alright, as always, if anyone has one of these things, let me know. I don't have an Amazon Echo, so I can't really speak to whether I like this idea or not. The idea of the Echo itself kind of creeps me out, but uh, I don't need Jeff Bezos listening in on what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, even though I do give him most of my money. And finally, in today's news is an article from GeekWire.com. Atari women want you to meet the female engineers behind Centipede and Warlords. To help bring attention to the female engineers and the pioneering women in computer science, an assistant professor in human-centered design and engineering at University of Washington named Daniela Rosner is working with a visiting professor named Pernille Bjorn to create a thing called Atari Women, which is a research project that profiles the women who helped design and build Atari's games 40 years ago. It's debuting at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle on Friday, which I'm sure already happened. This article is dated March 14th, so it's happening now, I guess. Those two professors, a professor from the University of Copenhagen 
are hosting a panel, the lineup of women in the gaming industry, including some who worked at Atari, and the first U.S. video game champion winner of the Atari 2600 National Space Invaders Tournament in 1980. There'll be an interactive pop-up exhibit with Atari 2600 game cartridges signed by the women who helped create them. University uh, students are building an Atari women in textile costume decorated with lantern-like cubes featuring graphics from the games. There'll be a remixed version of Pac-Man with a maze of binary ones and zeros navigated by a cartoon female developer instead of a chomping yellow circle. The ghosts are replaced by stylized bugs representing the software bugs that plague engineers. They're hoping that this is a start in talking about the story of women in game development and that those stories will grow and build. I think this is an awesome idea. Women have always worked in the fields of engineering and science and uh, technology and so forth, but they don't get the due, uh, except very rarely, that they deserve. When we tell stories, you know, those who do a, an Atari podcast tell a lot of stories about the history of Atari, but uh, through no fault of anyone, it doesn't feel like you ever hear about any women. I think I asked on the episode once if there were any women listening to this podcast, and uh, I imagine there are, but I didn't hear from anybody. So, and that's different than talking about the women who developed the games, but it, it's, it, maybe it reflects the fact that we don't hear about the women who developed the games, maybe if we did, there'd be more women playing the games. But that's that's a, a, a problem that has played gaming since there's been gaming, too, right? There's a lot of dudes, but where are the women at, basically? So, you know, again, if there's any women listening, especially ones who have worked in the game industry or know stories of women who have worked in the game industry, let me know. All right, one more thing before we get on to this week's game. So, I've been doing 165, once this episode is over, 165 episodes of Atari Bytes. And pretty much every week, I have written and presented to you an original short story. So one day I got the idea. I was given the idea, actually, by friend of the show, Jimmy G. Hi, Jim. He said, hey, all those stories you do on the podcast, why don't you put them in a book? So, I did, because I take direction well. And that book is now a reality. It's called Misery Banana very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. It will be, by the time you're hearing this episode, fingers crossed, it may be available to pre-order. I believe the official release date is going to be March 30th, and I, like I said, I think you'll be able to order this before that? I'm hoping so, anyway. There's still some last-minute production things going on as I'm recording. I will be signing books and selling them at Midwest Gaming Classic. You'll be able to order it once it's up and available. You'll be able to order it in print, definitely, uh, with ebook, hopefully sh- soon to follow, pretty much wherever you like to get your books, probably. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. It, it, it's not all of the stories I've done on the podcast, but it's a lot of them in book form. So if you're sick of hearing my voice, but you kind of like the stories, here's your chance. Uh, so yeah, Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts from Carnival of Glee Creations, which is sort of the umbrella thing that I use to put these podcasts and the in, Saint, in the St. Nick of Time book that I did a while ago, uh, sort of the umbrella company, I guess, under which I, I do all these things. So, yeah, I hope you'll consider looking for that. I hope you'll tell your friends to look at it. My approach with the book and with the stories, really, is that the games are a springboard for the uh, for the stories, but the stories kind of take on a life of their own. You don't necessarily have to have played the games. My hope is you don't really even have to like video games 
to enjoy these stories. So even if you have friends who aren't really into Atari games, but maybe they like video games in general, or maybe they don't even care about video games, I think there's something in this book, in these stories, for everybody. So pass it on, pick up a copy for yourself, pick up three, four, five, six copies for your friends. It's a thin book. It, it's easy to carry around. So portability is a big selling factor, maybe. I don't know. So yeah, so that's my commercial right now. That's sort of the top secret project I've been working on for a while, and it's here. And I'm pretty proud of, pretty proud of it. I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll give me some feedback. I hope you'll go to wherever you ordered it, particularly <clears throat> like Amazon, and leave a review because reviews really do help get the book bumped up in the algorithm that think places like Amazon use to call attention to books. And the more attention that gets called to it, the more people will notice it. And honestly, hopefully for me, we'll buy it. So please leave a review wherever you get it. Hopefully a good review. I also want your feedback, but frankly, I really what I really need are your reviews on the uh, the book buying sites that you that you buy them. Also, Goodreads is another good place to do that. All right. Well, that's enough uh, advertising for me. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is now for your Atari Twenty Six Hundred M Network Dark Cavern from Mattel Electronics, a video game of you against them. They're spiders, blobs, and robots, and you're a sitting duck. M Network Dark Cavern. It'll have a surprising effect on your TV. M Network games by March 4th, and we'll send you one free. Dark Cavern from M Network, 1982. Dark Cavern is a one player game only, so all you people out there like me who don't have any friends, this is the game for you. The print in the manual is super tiny, or I'm super old, or both. It's a battle for survival in an underground cavern. You have five men. They enter the cavern one at a time through the center trap door. Once inside, boobs, wait. No. Blobs, spiders, and robots begin to enter the left and right doors. Parentheses. Neither the creature nor the man can exit through these doors. Close parentheses. Direct your man down the tunnels. Pick up ammunition as you go. Keep clear of the creatures. Avoid robot fire. Shoot to destroy. Get hit by a robot's bullet. Action stops. I feel like they're tippy-toeing around the fact that, that you die a bunch of times in this game. But no, they just say, the action stops. We get a lovely little diagram of the screen. Can everyone see in the back? Pointing out helpfully where this, what a spider looks like, a weapon, a trapdoor, a blob, a robot, man. It's helpful because really what you're looking at on the screen, the only thing that looks like what it's supposed to be is the trapdoor, the man, and the spider kind of. Although, frankly, now that I'm looking at it on screen, the spider really looks more like Frogger, which is odd. I think it'd be cool if there was a game where like all you homebrewers get on this, where like Frogger is the bad guy in the game. I don't know what that game would be exactly, but yeah, let's make a game where Frogger is just attacking everybody. That would be cool. Anyway, your man starts with 20 bullets. Every few seconds, a gun flashes on the screen. Land on it before it disappears, and you get 10 more bullets. Shoot at any of the nasty cavern creatures, and you use up one bullet. Without, uh, watch out for the blob. Run into him, and he steals your bullets. They put steals in quotes. I wonder why. The game ends when all five of your men are blown away by the robots. The final score is displayed. Press reset and start again. Earlier in the instructions, they didn't want to say your man dies. They just say that the action stops. But in this paragraph, they're all about 
your men get blown away. Anyway, use your joystick controller with the game. I assume they do not mean the 3D printed controller over your Echo Dot. Be sure the controller cables are securely plugged in the back of your game console. Hold the controller. So the red button is to your upper left. I love that instruction. Choose the level of difficulty, A or B. A is more difficult, and when you begin at A, in A, the game begins with four two-headed robots coming after you. Also at level A, when you destroy a robot, a new one takes its place faster. At level B, the game begins with one-headed robot. That's the problem. I played on A in the field report, and I was getting really frustrated because there would be many times when I definitely shot first and shot the robot, but then I would immediately get shot by the dead robot. And this explains it. I wasn't getting shot by the dead robot. I was getting shot by the living, I guess that's the word I'll use, robot that immediately takes its place. And that just doesn't seem fair to me because you don't have time to run. Game begins with your first man at the center trapdoor. Push up on the joystick and he enters the cavern. The door behind him locks and you're trapped inside. After your man's blasted, your next man is peering through the trap door. Push up on the joystick to get the man into the cavern. I'm just picturing this little man in there, like, saying, Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You move your man by pushing the joystick in all four directions. You can quickly change, change directions. The man is running. After you push the joystick, the man continues to move in that direction until he runs into the side of a tunnel. Man's bullets will destroy all the creatures and the robots. To fire off a shot, you need to do two things. Push the joystick in the direction you want the bullet to go, and press the red button. The man is also moving in the same direction, so shoot and retreat quickly. Important. You can only fire off one shot at a time. Once your bullet disappears from the screen, you can fire again. This does kind of slow down things a little bit, but uh, I guess you can deal with it. You start with five men. We said that. Each man can run and shoot. When you lose one, the next man appears at the trap door. Each time you destroy a yellow robot, you get another man, but you can only have a maximum of nine men at a time. When your last man is blown away by robot fire, the game is over. The gun is the man's main defense. I would say only defense. I'm not sure what else you get. In the creature-infested cavern. The man has 20 bullets to start out with. Every few seconds, the gun flashes on screen. If you land on it before it disappears, you get another 10 bullets. You get a maximum of 99 bullets at a time. The black numbers in the upper right corner tell how many bullets are left. Spiders creep for the cavern, ready to bite. Whenever the two come in contact, the man is paralyzed for a few seconds. A few moments, actually, which is a long time in a game like this. You can't run or fire, and you're a sitting duck. The blobs slink around the tunnel. Their purpose is to catch the man and steal his bullets. The longer the man touches the blob, the more bullets he will lose. Get away quick. There are two types of robots, one-headed and two-headed. The one-headed robots can only shoot bullets in front of themselves. The man can sneak up from behind and blast away. At level B, the game begins with the one-headed robots after the man. Two-headed robots look forward and backward and shoot in front of themselves and behind. Two-headed robots appear when the score reaches 20,000 and at the beginning of level A. The one-headed and two-headed robots each come in four colors. All robots are one color at a time. Different colors are worth different points. Point values are listed below. They range basically from zero points for a spider to 5,000 points plus another man for a yellow robot. Winning tips. Wait at a corner. When a robot is in target range, fire quickly. Move around the corner to dodge his bullets. When a new man enters the trap door, wait until it's safe to enter the cavern. Duh. As soon as a gun appears in the cavern, go after it. It disappears quickly. Important. Be sure to turn your game unit off when not in use. Alright. 90 day limited warranty. Pretty sure I've uh, 
past that at this point. And that is how you play Dark Cavern. Most of you probably know, though I did not, that Dark Cavern is based on an Intellivision game called Night Stalker, released in 1982 by Steve Montero, later ported to the 2600 and released under Mattel's M Network, Apple II, and IBM PC in 83. The Intel version was made available for the PlayStation 3 through PlayStation Home in fall of 2012 in a collection titled Intellivision Gen 2. In addition to being filled with bats and spiders, it had a greater variety of killer robots along with a variety of maze structures. The video game critic references Wizard of War, calling this game, Like a futuristic Wizard of War, Dark Cavern places you in a maze, crawling with spiders, blobs, and shooting robots. This game, uh, the video game critic says, boasts a level of intensity rarely seen in a 2600 maze game. Dark Cavern's graphics are plain, but smoothly animated and relatively flicker-free. The game's one fault is that it's too generous with extra lives. You start with five and get an additional live, uh, d- additional lives on a regular basis. That reduces the challenge, but Dark Cavern is still worth well worth playing. FlyingOmelet.com, in its review, gave it 2.5 out of 5. The game took a simple idea and ran with it, as most Atari 2600 games do. Games like this are not bad, but they aren't particularly good. Dark Cavern, like so many others in this ancient 8-bit system fall neatly into the category of games that wouldn't hurt you to try if you're already playing around with an emulator or collecting 2600 cartridges, cartridges anyway, but you won't be missing much if you don't play them. Despite any nuances in the gameplay, if, you're ever playing, if you've ever played Pac-Man or Berserk, or a game like those before, you'll probably feel like you've already done this. The maze never changes, so there's hardly any sense of progression, which makes maintaining prolonged interest difficult. There are some tricks you can learn that will more easily help you achieve 200,000 points and beyond, I won't spoil them since figuring them out is the bulk of interest here. However, if there was ever a time when it meant something to have the highest score in, on Dark Cavern, it's probably long since passed. Well, not to spoil anything, but as we'll see in my mini-review later, I kind of like this game, despite the comments here. Alright, so after the break, Dark Cavern or Milk Chocolate Cavern? Whatever, it's all good. Gee, everybody, I wish I had a Atari game that made me feel like I was in the 1960s. Some sort of spy show or sci-fi or spy sci-fi show of the 60s that looked all cool and had this eerie music and two-headed robots and guns that look like guns. Wait, what's this? Dark Cavern? Oh, thanks. Alright, so I've started the game. I'm getting ready to climb out of the trap door. The maze looks like your basic Atari game maze, right? Things to walk around. Uh, I see the exit down there a little ways from where I'm at. Um, I'm about to step out of my trap door. It's a little weird. Usually these games you would start by pressing the fire button. But uh, no, this one, we have to press up on the joystick. But uh, that's alright. Let the mayhem begin. Here comes a spider, which I guess kind of looks like a spider. There's my weapon, which looks a hell of a lot like a gun. And not like a space gun, like a real gun. I just got shot by what I guess is a two-headed robot. And the blob, which looks like a swirly Charlie Brown stripe. I'm not even out the trap door. Quit shooting at me. Maybe I'll just stay in here. Um, 
Yeah, so these robots, I'm playing on difficulty level A. I'm hiding in the trapdoor right now. Um, man, those two-headed robots shoot way too fast. I shoot them, but they shoot me at the same time. How unfair is that? Man. I shot him first for sure. All right, let's restart it. So really, other than the man and the weapon and the spider, sort of, nothing really looks like what you're told it is. But that's not unusual for an early 80s uh, video game. So I can live with that. Maybe for the fuel report, I should be playing on an easier setting, but oh well. That's how we roll here at Atari. But come on! The two-headed robots totally get to shoot after I've shot them. That seems unfair. Man. So maybe that's my complaint about this game. I really, uh, I'm enamored with the look of the game for some reason. That's an opening. I'm supposed to be able to go through there. Man. Run away! Doesn't make me any less of a man. Oh, maybe I can't leave until I've shot everybody? I killed the spider, but the two-headed robot, shocker, got me after I shot him. Alright, well that's enough of that chaos. Back to you in the studio. Go get a martini with uh, Frank and Dean. Tell them Bill set you. And they'll say, huh? Because they'll be more preoccupied with the fact that you're a time traveler. Anyway, the studio thing that I said. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. So here's the thing about Dark Cavern. I do kind of like this game. I think it has a weird intensity to it, to borrow one of the reviews. The two-headed robot shooting, dying, and then being replaced immediately in level A is frustrating as hell. But I think if I spent more time with it, I could learn to deal with that. No, the things don't that are attacking you don't really look like what you're told they are. But if you play enough of these games, you get used to that. I, I like it. I, I think if I did play it for a while, I would get tired of the fact that this screen never changes it's always the same maze so that might get old but you know being new to this game i still have a lot of room to go in in spending time with it before i get bored with it so if i was an old bitter dark cavern player i might feel differently but i'm not so i don't i like the game at this point much less your relationships with other humans right it's always cool when you start out but then eventually it just gets old and familiar that's a lovely thought. Let's uh, quickly scamper on to this week's story. How about? It's story time on Atari Bytes. 
Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is Lost and Found, which is now a title I liked very much, but it's the only one I can come up with right now. If I ever put this story in a book, maybe that'll change. Because you're adult, that's why. Gary laughed and set his backpack down, jostling the water bottle, which rolled down a couple steps, cut into the limestone walkway. I'm adult? What the hell is that? Settle down, boy. He laughed again. Brent shifted his weight and considered. It infuriated him when Gary brought out that laugh, the mocking one. Brent also hated that it was making him pout like the child Gary was implying he was. It was all Brent could do not to shout, Don't tell me what to do. I am not a child. No matter how close you are, 24-7 for a whole week is a long time to spend with someone. This vacation week of driving through endless miles of Midwestern farmland interspersed with tourist destinations, frenetic sightseeing, and eating every damn meal together was taking its toll. Moving on, as if the argument was inconsequential, Gary said, We're falling behind the group. We should catch up. Fine, Brent said with a tone. Just... He paused, patted all the pockets of his khaki shorts. Shit. I left my phone somewhere. Seriously, Gary said, a bit more sternly than intended. Or maybe not. Not like I did on purpose, you know. I'm pretty sure it's on the ledge near that pretty little waterfall. What if it falls in, Gary? Well, go get it, Gary said. Clock's ticking. Yeah, yeah, Brent stood and groaned, rubbing his knee. My knee is killing me. These stone floors. Gary, could you... Gary groaned. Please, I've already slowed us down enough. Whatever, Gary grunted and turned back toward the trail they'd just come up on, heavy footfalls echoing behind him, each step like an auditory, obscene gesture to Brent. Gary took the time back to the waterfall to re-examine some of the contours of this cavern shaped by thousands of years of rainwater runoff. The park service had recently switched to LED lighting to avoid algae growth on light bulbs. Why would anything want to live down here? Gary muttered. The lights were more strategically placed to highlight different contours of the caverns. Gary approached a split in the trail. One way was the marked tourist trail. The other had a sign warning people to stay out. But Gary was so enamored with looking at the lights that it took a moment for his eyes to register when the lights went out, eliciting a startled whoop from a 60-year-old bank teller in the tour group way up ahead. Mildly disoriented, Gary kept walking, but down the wrong trail. Within moments, the lights came back up, briefly blinding Gary again. He blinked at formations that pretty much looked like all the other rock formations. He had the uneasy feeling, though, that he was going the wrong way. But he found the going itself, away from Brent for a few moments, easy enough that he kind of didn't mind. In the shadowy periphery, he thought he might have seen a mass, a blob, hugging the wall tight, but that was ridiculous. And by the time he turned his head for another look, it was gone anyway. Further down the path, the trail split again. Gary didn't remember his second split when he came through with Brent initially, but he kept going, confident in his sense of direction. He could still walk upright, but Gary's hair just brushed the top of this tunnel of 30 feet or so. The only light came from the LEDs on either end. The slight movement of hair against limestone compelled him to brush his hair lightly with his fingers. And then as he walked, something tickled Gary's neck. He reached back to adjust his polo shirt collar and found that what he thought was the shirt tag, but it moved. Not a tag. Gary snatched his hand back. A dime-sized spider crawled on his palm, and Gary flung it away with a yelp. He was glad that no one could hear. 
Now his left arm tingled. Another spider, quarter-sized this time, did laps around his elbow. He flapped the arm like a chicken wing, not caring when he smacked the cavern wall. Gary held his phone up to the ceiling of the tunnel. The screen illumination was just enough to reveal it was covered in spiders. Gary sprinted for the other end of the tunnel. Once there, the scream that erupted from his lungs to put the earlier yelp to shame. He barely even registered the warm, moist thud as his knee crunched into the midsection of a three-foot spider waiting there, prompting it to fold into a ball and roll into a dark corner. Lethal venom meant for Gary instead just leaving a slimy trail behind it as Gary kept running. He wiggled as he ran, attempting to dislodge any more passengers that might be on his person. Finding himself now in a wide chamber, a sound caught Gary's attention. When you're anticipating hearing something specific, say a rushing waterfall splashing a lost cell phone, it can take a moment for the brain to process that the sound you actually hear is not that sound. In this case, it took two moments for Gary to process that what he actually heard was the whir-click of robotic machinery. Unfortunately, that was one moment too many. Gary was now surrounded by robots. Some of them had the standard one head. Others had two. Scores of beady red eyes focused on him. All were firing laser blasts as Gary bobbed and weaved. Brent can look for his own damn phone, Gary half-muttered, half-shouted, which is hard to pull off. The lasers actually made the pew-pew noise, like in the movies. He couldn't help noticing the two-headed bot's shots hit closer than the one-headed bot's. What do you know, Gary heard himself shout. Two heads really are better than one. A volley of appreciative laser blasts came in response. Another tunnel. Gary tripped over a box of bullets. What am I supposed to do with these? Gary shoved a handful of ammo in his pocket anyway. No spiders in this tunnel, thankfully. But where could he go? Wish you were here, Brent, Gary thought. He hated that it was looking pretty likely the last time he saw Brent was when they were fighting. With lurching heavy steps, a robot appeared at the tunnel entrance. Time to go. Gary sprinted through the other end of the tunnel. The blob was back and swirled itself around Gary's feet as the robot circled around. This was the end. Gary was sure of it. Once on a trip to the beach, Gary started choking on a bit of snow cone. It's an odd thought, choking on a bit of frozen water. Presumably it would melt and all would be good, but not this time. Maybe there was a congealed lump of cherry syrup or something? Gary always wondered about that, the choking. How did that happen? Anyway, when he was choking, Gary was alone that time, too. Brent had gone off to find another shovel. Brent was a really good sandcastle builder, and Gary lay there gasping. Not for air. He was simply trying to wrench enough air from his lungs to call out Brent's name. A ten-year-old wearing water wings had to apply the Heimlich. This day, surrounded by robots from God knows where, Gary made up for that other horrible day, applying the full power of his respiratory and vocal systems to cry out Brent's name. The robots, of course didn't give a crap. Gary tried to prepare himself to die, but Gary's mental preparations were disrupted as a particularly large spider from the tunnel crawled from the collar of his shirt and sat on one of the three buttons, seeming to wave hello. Gary gasped, but then he had an idea. The winter before last, the diagnostic sensors on the Tesla went wonky. Brent seemed fine with not knowing if he had a low tire unless the dashboard told him so, but Gary insisted on getting the problem diagnosed. It turned out Mice had crawled into the engine for warmth, mucking up the electrical system. In this moment before his death, Gary had a much different problem to solve, but, he hoped, it might not be that different at all. Gary grabbed the spider from his chest. The little spiky hairs on its back were surprisingly soft. He set the spider on the nearest robot's foot, where it immediately crawled into the narrow space around the ankle joint. 
In seconds, the robot started spasming, twisting, breakdancing, and doing the funky chicken. Then he collapsed into a pile of rivets. Gary made full advantage of the opening in the Kill Gary circle and made for a tunnel that looked like maybe it was an exit. Hands over his head, as if that would protect him from the fuselage of laser blasts erupting around him. As he ran into yet another tunnel, Gary shoved a handful of bullets from the ammo box into a small crevice in the wall, then entered the tunnel out of the chamber. A robot laser blast struck the bullets, exploding the gunpowder, and the blast caused an avalanche of limestone, sealing the robots off from the tunnel that led to Gary. Gary ran, ran some more. The hitch in his knee from that rock wall climbing accident when he stopped mid-ascent to take a selfie did not slow him down. Finally, he found a familiar tunnel. And there was Brent on the other side. Gary had never been so happy to see anyone. Beaming, he ran up to Gary, who said only, Did you find my phone? What? Gary said. Oh, uh, no, but listen. I need that phone, Gary. It's brand new. Yeah, but Brent, you won't believe what happened. Brent sighed and made that face that says, I'm pretending to listen, but I'm not trying very hard. Gary poured out the whole story of his adventure in the excruciating detail that he was fond of. Brent just nodded. That must have been weird, he said. You don't believe me, Gary said. Of course I do. No, Gary declared, arms crossed. You don't. Well, it is a little hard to believe, Brent admitted. But I love and trust you. If you say it happened, then it did. Brent studied each word out of Brent's mouth, rolled each syllable, weighing and evaluating the veracity of Brent's assertion. Did he really believe, or was he just humoring Gary? Really, though, Gary was just too happy to be alive to care. Sorry about your phone, though, Gary said. It's just a phone, Brent said, unconvincingly. They both shrugged. Well, we should get going, I guess, Gary finally said. I'll just repack my things. Only now Gary noticed the contents of Brent's backpack were strewn across the cave floor. Right, Gary said. Gary trotted ahead to catch up with the rest of the tour group. Brent lingered, repacking, and talking to himself. Gary, you're so sweet, so good-hearted. Then Brent removed the robot remote control device from his pocket, sent the self-destruct order to the robots, and disabled the control device, chucking it into a nearby waterfall. Brent really did like waterfalls. Brent sneered in the direction of his companion. But you really are adult, Gary. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Thanks to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Show notes are available at ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And I'm also occasionally on Instagram. So wander over there and take a look at what odd things are up there. And don't forget, you can call us. And you don't have to actually talk to me. You can just leave a voicemail. Uh, about anything you want related to this podcast. You can do that by calling 563-265-1978. Listen to Atari Bytes wherever fine podcasts are sold, distributed, or foisted upon you like so many flyers from politicians in an election year. But remember to come in from the dark and traverse the caverns of Apple Podcasts to leave a review of this show so that other people can navigate the tunnels of Apple Podcasts 
and find the show as well. Please also consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. If you have ideas for what you, you would like to see in that store, let me know. Also, uh, please consider picking up Mi- uh, Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts, because I'm pretty proud of that, and, and I really want to hear what you guys think of it. If you have time, check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. New episodes of that show drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Space Attack. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.